You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Whatever, what up, me, gente? It's your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders Podcast. And today, folks, I am not alone. An amazing fellow crusader. He himself is an independent comic book creator, but he is also one of the co-panelists on Cinema Crusaders and also Sloppy Spoilers. You know, Mr. Happy himself, the one and the only Mr. Jeff Lacey. Wepa, how you doing, kiddo? Wepa, my brother. Wepa, good to see you. Yeah, likewise, but are you excited, man? We're going to be talking to an industry legend when it comes to independent combos. I mean, homie been out since the 90s, smashing the industry, and he's still killing it to this day, not just in comics, but cons and everything he's involved with. I mean, homie is like a staple in the independent comic community, man. Are you excited? I am always excited to talk to, especially, you know, as, as much fun as it is to talk to the big guys, I really like talking to the indie guys, you know, the guys who you know, just got out there and did their own thing and made it happen. Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk about this particular individual. This person is a renowned creator and artist, right? He's been actively involved in the comic book industry for several years. I mean, homie is an artist, a radio host even. My gosh. He does a whole bunch of stuff, cons, everything. He is all over the place, but he's showing love in the game, for a minute, he is a legend. I mean, right now, I, f- I feel like saying he is the worldwide champion of independent <laughs> comics. Let me introduce to you the one, the only, the creator of El Muerto and more. The one, the only, the multi-talented Javier Hernandez. Wepa, how you doing? <laughs> I gotta give you that 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 Chicano wrestling feel right there. Nobody gives me an intro mano. like Al. <laughs> what up, my brother? How are you? Oh, I have shut down the internet, Bracy. I think that it was too much energy for you, Texas you broke to handle. In the internet. <laughs> that was too much energy. That was too much energy for Texas to handle. You oh. blew all the circuits out, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> You know, when Wait, I talk about how he... That's kind of intro you get from Big Al here. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, when we talk about Javier, Texas shut down the internet just now because they're like, no, no, not Javier. I mean, an industry legend, a staple, creator of legendary El Muerto, been in the industry for quite some time. I mean, when a man started just like me, we had black hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, my brother, welcome, welcome, one and all. I'm your host, Almega, with my amazing fellow crusader, Jeff Brazy. And, folks, if you don't know, this is Javier Hernandez, all right? I'm the independent creator. So, Javier, let's get started, mi hermano. Origin story. We love an origin story. So, tell us a bit about where you originally hailed from and what was the first thing in pop culture that you ever fell in love with. Hmm. Well, first of all, Al, Tracy, thanks for the intro. I'm already exhausted with that intro. It's like <laughs> five rounds of WrestleMania. It's like, okay. now you Oh, man. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, origin story. I mean, I was born here in East L.A. And early on, my parents hey. moved to a neighboring town here, uh, Whittier. So I got to um, ask, though. You say you were born in East L.A. Jesus didn't talk to you through a picture, right? 
he, he, he delivered me, man. What are you talking about? Grandpa. Why? Just, just remember, what's happening? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they made a song about me called Born in East L.A. I don't know if you ever heard it, but and and a movie. No, no. So yeah, my my earliest boy pop culture, man. That's hard. You know, when you're as old as I am, it's hard to remember that back. I mean, I definitely remember like the Adam West Batman TV show. I remember like Gigantor, the very earliest oh, Japanese animation. A lot a, of stuff. That's a great one. That's a great Speed one. Racer. You know. Hey, pa, wait a minute. Look at he's playing that Speed Racer. Yeah, no, sounds what? like sounds like we're all the same age around here. Yeah, probably. No, but, but, but that's what I love, though, because you see that, right? This, this is part of our Latino experience. Like, a lot of the time, we were kind of brought up with Japanese anime as opposed to American cartoons. Well, I thought I thought Speed Racer was a Mexican family. I mean, Speed was a mechanic. His best friend was a mechanic. His oh, dad wow. Was a big old, his dad was a big old heavy set wrestler. Ah, the mom ah. was like the queen of the, the house. You know, uh, he had a annoying Man, little that brother. All fits. That all fits. It all fits. And then the mysterious runaway older brother. So, you know what? You ought to do you ought to do your own kind of comic based on that idea. <laughs> yeah, Speed Racer via East LA. <laughs> well, did Al freeze? So over those there? are the earliest. What's that? Oh, a little like Al froze, but keep going. He's shocked. But um, yeah, yeah. Those are the, the earliest shows. The earliest comics were comics my older brother gave me when I was a kid. He used to collect them. Like between 1969, 70, 71. Now, what kind and of comics was he, he giving you? Oh, I mean, he gave me the cream of the crop. Uh, Jack Kirby's last run on his FF. John mm. Romita's Spider-Man. John Buscema on Thor. Oh, wow. Uh, Classics various all. Iron Man. Yeah, Daredevil, <coughs> Colin. Yeah, some DC books. He he had some really good um, Neil Adams Batman comics. The mm. first appearance of Man Bat. So, yeah, those are my early exposure to comics. You know, that late Silver Age stuff. And, and uh, I was probably about eight years old. And after I read all his books, it was like a big stack, two shopping bags or something. Then I went to the local 7-Eleven, and I see that they're still making comics. And back then, they were just a quarter. Uh, yeah. So I might get a buck or two. Yeah, I might get a buck or two from mom and um, go down to the 7-Eleven, pick up some comics, Snickers bar, and a Marvel Comics Slurpee cup. I was set. Oh, man, those were the days. Those were the I was days. Set. Just hitting the spinner rack um, and like well, you said, like, I was, I was getting my stuff from like a convenience store like that. Yeah, that's where we got our comics on those little little metal spinner oh, rack. Al says his internet is down. That's what happened to him. Oh, okay. So I guess we'll just keep going as we are. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm here at your disposal. Now I know he had he had all the questions and whatnot, but I will do my best to to uh, fly improv style till he comes on back. Cause I was going to look at sure. things from that comic and creators expect side of things, but like, uh, so we, we can go to that. Yeah. Well, let's keep going with the origin story a little bit. Cause uh, you know, we've, we've seen your exposure to the things and not just American influences, but also Asian influences. Like you, I grew up with things like speed racer and battle of the plants. I thought that was American stuff. I didn't even know those were Japanese cartoons at the time but they would influence things later on. Was this the same for you? Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, as a kid, I can't tell you that I, I, I was like, Oh, that's a Japanese import. But I remember the speed racer at the end of the credits, a lot of the names were Japanese, like the illustrators, whatever. And then you'd see like the last credit, I think was like written, directed by Peter Fernandez. He was the one who translated it over. Right. 
so yeah, as a kid, it's just something something was a little odd about all that. Like all these Japanese creators, and and actually, in fact, it was Peter Fernandez. In fact, it was a Latino name. That kind of just really, I don't know. It just got me thinking of yeah, comics and animation is it's a world thing. Like everybody in the world can do it, can cross over, can work together. So yeah, it, it's definitely been influential, like you said. So with that going on, like how did you how did you actually get into comics? Like when did you decide like I want to be a comic book creator? Like I know it says like looking at your Wikipedia a little bit, it says like your very first comic book was just a bunch of Xerox sheets and your I guess doing like a lot of us did in school, like stapling that together and passing that to your friends. Right. Yeah. Well, my, my older brother also, besides giving me those comics, he used to draw and he would draw these cartoon characters, mostly like sport characters, mm-hmm. like footballer, baseball players, really big buffed up guys, little tiny feet, real cartoony. <laughs> so I got influenced by him, like, okay, comics. And also I want to draw like big brother. And then he eventually quit drawing. He got more into like, in high school, he was like making model. He got really into model making and such. Hmm. But me, the young kid, so I'm starting to draw. Like, well, I want to draw too. And what am I going to draw? Well, I got all these comic book references, so I'm drawing superheroes. And yeah, I have, I have like an early Spider-Man comic I did. and I wish I could find it. But as I got older, you know, I had always thought about doing comics. Remember, I'm on the east, on the west coast, L.A. Mm-hmm. And even then, I realized that as I'm reading comics, like, well, that's a New York thing. You know, like in my, my little limited world. Right. And then I saw the ads in the comics for the Kubert School. I'm like, ooh, a comic book school. And then I looked down like, oh, New Jersey? That's way over there. There's no way I'm going to ask mom and dad, hey, can I go to New Jersey and go to school, comic school? So it, it it seemed for me, again, being a young kid, I just kind of like, well, you know what? That's I don't live out there, so I can't, I'm not going to do comics. But I still love to draw. I, I drew on my own. And I got into art. And when I got older, in my 20s and 30s, I started working in the art department at a screen print company. So I, I was involved in art. Mm-hmm. Although we weren't doing characters, we were just doing boring production art and right. logos and such. But And then also I had read so many comic magazines and interviews on comic creators, how they weren't treated too good. You know, by this time in the 80s, the Kirby story was all over the place. You know, yeah. Marvel kept his art and blah, blah, blah. And I'd read different things. like, oh man, you know what? This sounds like a really crappy industry to work in in that regards especially being on the art side of things you know the publishers made all good and the editors and maybe the writers is the artist now the to me the 80s the 80s was a big period of like like that's where i started really getting into independence because they really started coming out when you have like dave sims cerebus the teenage mutant ninja turtles and even like smaller brands like elementals from comico you know faust from rebel studios and things like that did that give you the ideas like, oh, well, maybe the small guy can make it. How did how did your story really start from that point? Uh, no, I was I was a numbskull in the 80s. I remember going to my friend, uh, there was the first comic book shop opened up in Whittier. That was a big thing. Like, oh, yeah, I've heard about these comic book, you know, centric shops. And I'd go to the shop there. And I'd be, oh, this is great. I could buy the comics every week, every Wednesday. They're there. Like, mm-hmm. I'll never miss an issue. And I was buying all the Marvel stuff. I was a big Marvel zombie and maybe some DC and some independent here and there. But I remember one time my friend who runs the shop, John, he held up this book. Hey, here's a new book that came out. You want to buy one? I'm like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's a dumb title. It's so long. And the art's like, yeah, it's not in color. It's like, I know. I was way <laughs> down the you know full color comics path. So I, I didn't de- delve too much in a lot of the indie stuff, just occasionally, I guess if it was in color. But so that the 80s came and went. You know, of course, Dark Knight and all that. 
And I'd always, like I said, it'd be cool to get into comics, but even then it was like, well, there's still no comic schools out here on the West Coast. That's changed. I mean, you go to any college, university, yeah. there's so many comic book and writing and art classes and such. It's great. But back in the 80s and 90s, it was still pretty rare. And, then, you know, if I really would have tried, I could have still done comic. But I just didn't feel like it's it could happen because I'm not near the publishers and all that. But it wasn't until the 90s, late 80s, 90s, where one or two friends of mine started self-publishing and doing comics and the pitching to Marvel. And that's when it became to me. Now it became more real. Like, okay, now I know actually know people who are doing comics, corresponding with Marvel and DC, whatever. It was more tangible to me, right? So right. the creative part of me, like, okay, I got ideas I want to do. And by by 98, when I did the first one, Muerto. He's back. Back. Jesus back. Christ. Thank you, Internet. Thank you, Spectrum. You suck. Anyway. Internet is, we're at the mercy of Internet, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're, we're at the mercy of Spectrum. That's what I'm at. They suck because you guys are alive. You probably don't even have Spectrum. We uh, we do, but I don't have it. Actually, I, I got Spectrum too. <laughs> oh, Spectrum's worry about the Spectrum in Massachusetts sucks. But thank you for allowing me time to see my daughter on a cosplay cover. Yes, that's her. Right. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, cool. I was looking though. I got to talk to Homie. He didn't give her. I, I don't see her name anywhere on this book. So, Mister Patrick Scott Barnes, I gotta have words with you. <laughs> <laughs> don't mess anyway, with proud. I'm sorry. Guys, I'm sorry. So where we at? Where we at, Bracey? What, what we uh, we're talking week? about how he finally got going in the 90s, starting to get his comic career going. The, how the 80s, oh, he didn't quite 90s. think it could happen yet. But in the 90s, creators started to sort of spread out, and he got to know some people who are actually publishing their own books. So please, right. Javier, continue. Let, let me let me ask you oh. something, though. Okay, so what, how old were you in the 80s versus the 90s, you know, to just for the comparison of how you were navigating? Well, in the 80s, I was in high school. You know, and I, okay. I was a high school kid in the mid '80s. So by the time the '90s came around, I was pushing 30, and it's like, you know what? I need to do a comedy. <laughs> I, so I'm actually a late starter, I think. I mean, nowadays you see these 18 year old kids on Instagram doing these web comics and all this stuff. Not even 18. I mean, you see, you see, eight years old making you know, making well, yeah. six, six figure incomes nowadays. I mean, what? I remember how, <laughs> I remember how shocking Rob Laffield is. You know, to find out he was a teenager like getting right. a comic gig is like what? Right. <laughs> we can do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? He, he needed more time to learn how to draw feet. No disrespect. I love you, Rob. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> he missed the year. He mi he missed foot year. <laughs> year. So yeah, by ninety, by the time the nineties came around, I wanted to do my own comic. And so what I want to do, right? Nice. Like, it's open field. Well, I can do whatever I want. It's self published. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something reflective of like Mexican culture. So I, I knew I wanted to do like a Mexican superhero. And then I, I wanted to do something incorporating Aztec mythology, which you didn't see much of in, well, and really the media at the time, to be honest with you. And I also wanted to do something with Day of the Dead which you didn't see too much in the media at the time. Definitely nothing in comics in 98. I mean, um, I'll say... You see the, the 90s, movie. <laughs> in the 90s, the only comic I can think of that even came close to that was probably Defiant Comics' War Dancer was the only thing that had any kind of Aztec iconography in it. Interesting. There was mm -hmm. also, was it Aztec, Aztec Ace? Oh, I forgot the name of it. I missed out on anyway, that one, man. It was like an 80s comic, I think, late 80s. But anyway, so... That's when I came up with this idea for El Muerto, and I published it in February of 98. So You are right, Aztec Ace from Dark Horse. Yes. Thank you. Ah. 
And uh, now here I am celebrating the 25th anniversary of El Muerto and my uh, publishing career. Nice. My brother, 25 years in the game. I'm sorry, but real quick. 25 years in the game. I mean, that's a long time. And you have seen a multitude of change. Oh, my gosh. I mean, as a fan, I've seen it. But as a creator, I can't imagine the level, like, you having to shift lanes to get your message out there. So talk about seeing the change as a creator from when you started to this very modern age. I mean, like. Well, it's funny. I'm just thinking right off the top, like financial cost. I used to spend so much more money in the early days. Jeez, flyers yeah. on flyers. You guys know what flyers? He said are? flyers. <laughs> you got to print up the information and pass it out. You know? Yeah. So you were that homie at the balls on Friday night talking about yo, thinking it's a party, but you're talking about a comic book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, geez. Like I remember, like trying to submit to publishers because I didn't have the the thought of like trying to create my own thing way back then and spending so much money mailing out packages of art to various art directors. (laughs) But until that internet changed all that. Let's talk about that really quick. Just as crazy. Because again, you know, you you brought up finance as as being a big difference because it absolutely is with the internet, you know, you pay $60 a month, but you have access to the world. You know, back, back in the day, you need to be online for two to three hours at the USPS with a box full of comics. And then hopefully you had enough money to pay for all that posters. You know, how do you feel, man, about that change in how things are so much more easy? I mean, th- were you riding with the wave or were you against the wave at first? No, no, no. I mean, I, re- I remember when MySpace came about. He said MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, shout out to Tom. <laughs> One of the earliest social networks. But right away, I'm like, oh, this is great. I can put images on this computer mm-hmm. and someone in Australia or China or, you know, Brazil, they'll see it. They could see it potentially, which was, that was like, that was not conceivable. We didn't conceive of stuff like that. So, no, I I, I, I welcomed it with open arms, you know. I mean, there's Beautiful. there's way more people more adept at the internet than I am today, but I, I I mean I take advantage of it, like I use it, like wow what a great tool it's all this free mm-hmm. distribution and it's all potential right doesn't mean doesn't mean that everyone in the world is watching your thing that potential everyone in the world Beautiful is definitely usage. not ordering the book I know that, but <laughs> the potential is there, so yeah no I totally embraced it you know when it came out, I mean there's different yeah. aspects than like oh what about digital art. You're afraid you're going to be out. They like, oh no, not really, because I still draw how I draw. And some new person, some 16 year old who's really good at drawing on the computer, well, she has whatever drawing skills she has. She just happens to be doing, you know, using, you know, an Apple pen or whatever. I'm using a pencil with the with lead and ink. So th- that doesn't bother me. That doesn't scare me off. Like, oh, the competition. I mean, Wait, there's always competition. Javier, I gotta ask for those. Is your pencil made of wood even? Yeah, yeah. Well, this like <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just messing with you guys. I mean, again, you're listening. Yeah, that, that brings us real wood, baby. Okay, people can't see real wood, wow. baby. Real wood. <laughs> Ten cents for a pencil can't beat that. Wherefore. So you you do work digitally or you don't work digitally? No, no. I I draw by hand. I ink by hand. So I scan my oh, pages, wow. and then I'll, in Photoshop I'll I'll color in gray tone or color, and then in Illustrator I'll letter. Okay, I was wondering about that because I've found personally as an artist who has gone completely digital for the past wow. several years, it did change my drawing style. 
because I used to do like a lot of cross hatching, a lot of feathering. And I found right. that when I started doing my own coloring that I did less drawing and used the color to uh, define the forms a lot more. No, that's interesting. That's an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still, you know, I, I just, I just love paper. Oh my God. Hold on. Hold on. Hold yeah. on. We got to sew that up. Oh my God. Look how gorgeous. Nice. Nice. Yeah. This is a quick preview for your audience. This is El Muerto versus the zombie of Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, look how that's looking good. I love that. I just love holding paper in my hand and such. And but no, and, I love smelling the ink. <laughs> the, I love the ink on the finger, the fingernails, and all that. And but no, I love the computers. I love digital coloring. Like I love to color digitally. It's funny. Um, this is total art related, but some years ago, people were really talking about Photoshop and coloring. They talk about like, oh, I'm done flatting my colors. Now I'm going to do the rendering. I'm, and I'm like, no, no, flatting is my stage. That's the last stage. Because you'll look at my color work. I like flat, <laughs> old-fashioned flat colors. But, you know, that that works for like, you know, different art styles. Like it. when you look at people like Mike exactly. Manola and other people like that, you know, you don't need to over-render the artwork. Right, right. Okay, so y'all coming from a different little uh, similar lane. Look at you guys. Hey, listen, we're gonna be Me. seeing a, a Mr. Happy versus Immortal soon. Let's go. <laughs> I know, like, don't get me wrong. I like I like doing uh rendering myself, but I still appreciate having grown up with those comics from the 60s, 70s, 80s forward. I still like it when people do that OG style. When I see like you know that that flat kind of color style, or maybe like just like a a little rim light on one side right. you know, or a little right. shadow on the other. You don't have to overwork it. Everything to, doesn't have to be some sort of flipping digital painted masterpiece work in your style. So let me right. ask you, Javier, in your growth <clears throat> style here now, because you're saying, okay, you know, I got a digital coloring. I mean, were you coloring, you know, regular, you know, standard prior to then? And, and what made you finally take the jump to Yeah, that, were you using you know, warm colors evolution? or markers or what were yeah you, you know what I, I didn't my first comics were all black and white mm -hmm. um, but i had i did color the covers on the computer i mean when i colored by hand i would use markers or something but i didn't really publish any colored comics mm -hmm. um, right. but yeah i would use like markers even today i still i love buying uh tombow tombow dual brush pens Hey, Tombo, um, listen, your sponsorship lane right here with Javier Hernandez, all right? Take care of him, give him free markers. <laughs> Use Tombo all the time, yeah. I tell you, like, you study other people, and, like, I learned the value of using markers from people like the guy that does uh, Cry for Dawn. I totally blanked on his name right oh, now. Oh, uh, 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 Joseph Lisner. Uh, Lisner. Joseph Lisner. Michael Lisner. And then even, like, yeah. I bought a card set of Bernie Wrights and stuff, and he got he'd just experiment painting with markers. Mm. I was like, okay, you know, don't don't think markers are for kids. Like any oh, medium no, no, is no. viable. They're not just for tagging people, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can do art. <laughs> I love it. All right. So let me ask you some 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 stuff here. Let's start getting to some some, some good stuff. All right, because El Muerto, right, has garnered a devoted fan base over the years. Mm. So what's your inspiration behind behind creating such a unique character and compelling character at that? Well, thanks. I mean, what I do in the comic, when I draw the comic, and this is really, this is real like arty stuff, when I'm drawing it, penciling it, I'm I'm hoping like by magic or alchemy, like I put a lot of emotional feeling into the drawing, which doesn't mm. really, you know, doesn't, I don't know how does that translate to a pencil stroke, but I guess I should say into the story. So people tell me that they, they, they like the character because, yeah, there's a lot of fantasy, the demons, 
but they like the fact that Almarto Diego, he's got this really human core. And that's really important to me because um, growing up, like the old Steve Ditko Spider-Man stories, there was so much like emotional angst to the character. Mm-hmm. And and growing up with music in the 80s, like the Smiths and the Cure, like, you know, I guess now they call it emo, <laughs> but I'm very much hey. that that raw emotional nerve. And he wants- so wait, folks, so everybody knows Javier is the original emo music fan over here, you know, the original guy. No. <laughs> now, I think by saying that, I think you've hit onto something that like, when the image creators split off, like there were all these super talented artists. But look at the books that have lasted. You look at Spawn, it's because it had that emotional content. It wasn't just about the pretty pictures. Savage you know, Dragon. Because too, too many of them, Savage Dragon had a really cool story, I thought. Mm-hmm. He was doing something different. But like a lot of them was just like, oh, wow, this is exciting. It was like the Michael Bay of comics. It was really pretty yeah. to look at. But right. the oh, stories oh, and the characters. Shit. Yeah, I went there. But the stories and characters were thin as much as I loved all that artwork. And I think that's the appeal of El Muerto here. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a resonance across you know books, movies, whatever, you know, dark, gothic stories people are, dr- are really drawn to those and in a different way than we're drawn to an action movie a, a cop mm-hmm. movie army movie yes those dark dramas those dark emotional angst-ridden dramas that people like and you know Amorto's got a pretty sizable female audience too so it taps into that part too i mean again i, I never read twice nice, but nice. Imagine, you know it's, it's that it's that it's that dark gothic romantic mm-hmm. elements you know yeah, it's got a lot of appeal. Then, and then just, it's got a lot of macabreness to it. I tell people, I've been telling people recently in the cut of my table, just to give them the quick pitch. If you like like Tim Burton movies and The Smiths and The Cure, you might like what's in El Muerto. And, they, and get, that really piques their interest. <laughs> so, you know, well, I like just, just to paint with I, the broad strokes, you know. Well, I really like a lot of the imagery, too. I like the, the bleeding heart on the shirt. I love the mariachi outfit. The whole, you know, it's all very iconic, all the imagery you've created. And the way you color things is very impactful emotionally. So Ooh, well, like you I, see how it resonates with everybody like that. So I'm can I ask you something, iconic. too? Yeah, yeah, yeah because I, iconic, you know, Mariachi, you know, Ryan Rodriguez, the first Desperado film, the real Desperado film. Did that have an influence on how you would work on El Muerto being, how, you know, because of what just Gracie said, made me think of it and Mariachi from back in the day. Well, definitely Robert Rodriguez's first film, Mariachi, his career, like his his biography he wrote about, you know, his autobiography, mm-hmm. he was a huge inspiration because there's a guy in the film business who did it on his own, with his own on money, his own. or his own lack of yeah. money, even, whatever. Yeah. But just his drive to want to tell his stories with his characters. Yeah, he was a huge inspiration. You didn't uh, uh, know. That's what I in the 90s. You didn't subject yourself to medical experiments to raise money for your comic, did you? <laughs> no, no, no. no. He's, a, he's a hero for that, though, but yeah. <laughs> I love that. I was like, yeah, row, row, yeah. T- took it for the team, baby. I just went in debt in the in the early years, but, you know, I had to, do, <laughs> had to get it out there somehow. You know, how bad, how bad, and for all the indie people listening, film or music, whatever, how bad do you want it? I mean, I know it's a mm-hmm. cliche, but it's... If you really want to do it on your own with your own stories, because it's a whole different path, like Bracey said earlier. Hey, you want to yeah. work at Marvel? You want to work at Warner? But okay, that's your thing. You know, you're gonna, at the end of the day, you're going to go home. You don't own the characters you created, or right. Or not, but, but you get paid really good at those companies. That, but how bad do you really want to get your ideas out there, your own creation? So, 
for 25 years, you know, I, I've stuck with it, you know, highs and lows. There's definitely lows. There's definitely bad times. There's sad times, tough times. There's dark times, lonely, quiet times. But, Shit, but are it, you it, talking it, about my life right now? My God, <laughs> <laughs> life in general and, and, and worse when you're a creative artist. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right. But let me ask you here. Though. The flip side is all those good times. That's yeah. the thing. That's right. Let me ask you, has your career or your background as a radio host influenced how you tell stories in comics? Well, you know, I, I didn't. I've done podcasts before. I haven't done them in a long time, but that's really interesting. I never, no one's ever asked that. Maybe doing the comics helped influence me doing the podcast because I was already doing the comics okay. before I did podcasting. Yeah, I, I love hearing people's story. Like I tell, I love telling my stories through comics. But on interviews, I'm sure, like you, you know, you guys are doing this right now with me. I love to hear your story. Like, what Absolutely. are you about? How did you get to where you are? Whatever you're doing, whether mm -hmm. you're art or sports or whatever, how did you get to where you are right now? Because 10, 20 years ago, you weren't doing what you were doing today, probably. So anyway. That's why so Al likes to ask everybody's origin story. Yeah, because that's important. Because I, I always want to show people that no one, and I mean no one, is an overnight success. It is a journey. And just because you hear them in the last few days, Right. Do you know how long it took them to be even <laughs> spoken of? You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. don't shit on nobody's journey because you don't have any idea how long they've taken to achieve that one moment in time where you actually said, oh, shit, who's this? <laughs> you know? And once you once you get there, wherever there is, and you're, yeah. you, you, don't, you can't just sit there. No. Yeah. You got to keep working. You're like that little hamster on the treadmill. Yeah, I know you're Mexican, but let me go with my Puerto Rican salsero, Hector Lavo, palante como un elefante, going forward like an elephant, and you don't stop. Like, it's, like, it's like going juggernaut mode, Bracey. You feel me? <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> an elephant steps on everything in its way, baby. Get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the way we got to do it. I'm sorry. So, Bracey, go ahead. I, the floor is yours before I ask my next. All right. Let's see. So, thinking about the... I read a little into the, how the, the character developed and then it changed. It You you started out like really leaning into the gothic and the horror, I think, and then you sort of, sort of pulled back to go for a little bit wider appeal, but you still managed to keep the 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 kind of the imagery and the pathos the that goes along with that. Yeah. Talk about the development of the character a bit, if you would. Well, another thing I was looking at when I was developing the character was, I think he got started by then, Mike Allred's Madman. Ooh. Okay, I was going to ask Ooh. you about that because I noticed if if you don't mind, like I know some sometimes artists get really prickly about being compared to others, but I noticed your mm -hmm. art style has some similarities to Mike Allred, at least to my eye. No, no, I, I love I love how he simplifies things. Mm -hmm. He keeps the stuff very clean, yet kind of. I know, I know he he probably gets annoyed at the term. So would I. Like, but I can see why you would say this about me. <laughs> no, no, like, oh, your art looks retro. And I and I get it. I'm not trying to like, oh, I want to draw in that 70s style, but I so love that 60s, 70s Marvel style of superhero art. Because right. it's beautiful. That's, that's what I draw. Because it's beautiful, but you know, that that's just my interpretation. No, no dissing to no modern characters. Yeah, I want to be careful that about that. Gorgeous. Because I, I told a friend, like I was like looking, I was like, oh wow, you know, your art is so simple and so clean because he 
he doesn't bother with like all the 90s style cross hatching right, and right. these crazy lines and stuff and he got a little upset that I called his art simple <laughs> it was like no oh, man no. like that was that was not a dig at all it was no. a compliment son are you crazy yeah yeah no all that clutter is to me a mess you know all the yeah. cross hatching anyway but I want to piss on people's <laughs> favorite favorite eras if you're in the 90s but but yeah you Gracie, you mentioned the gothic stuff but also at the same time when I was influenced by Madman I did want to make El Muerto also Kind of like the Adams family, how mm-hmm. it is, it is macabre, but it's not like it's not Faust. I'm not doing the crow or Faust, right, which that stuff's fine, but that's like rated yeah. R, super dark. I'm mm-hmm. going for almost that Tim Burton, that quirky, <laughs> dark Adams family. It could be May I and say? spooky and just a little, not, so I'm yeah, gonna so say it's this, a, it's wait, wait, let me say this, bride. Yeah, no, let me actually say it like this. It's, it's not it's not nighttime, it's not daytime. It's kind of like that. It's dusky. It's a dusky feeling, huh? Dusky. Right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to describe it, actually. Yeah. yeah. Also, also remember the other those muertos, when you look at it just visually right off the top of that, like mm-hmm. you see skeletons, you see a lot of black. So yeah, at first appearance, okay, it's death, it's dark, but then you really keep looking at it. Oh, but it's about love and life, it's about remembering. Mm-hmm our deceased loved ones. It's not being afraid of like the zombie apocalypse. That has nothing to do with it. It's about, yes, we all die, but let's remember those who've passed on and let's have fun with it, you know, in a certain way. And of Um, course that all ties directly into the celebration of the day of the dead, the remembrance of like lost family and friends. And I think you've really achieved that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my goal. I said, Aztec mythology and day of the dead folk. I want to put those two, front and center in my comic, at least the story of El Muerto, and, and then go from there. You know, the stories, so, you know, every issue, it's huh. not just about Day of the Dead. That's just the origin. Oh, speaking of which, I thought you did a couple of really clever things, like your naming conventions, like, like, oh, geez, now I'm blanking on the name, like uh, Juan de la... De, uh, oh, Diego, de, yeah, Juan Diego. Juan Diego is like, because uh, like you're, you're mixing like Day of the Dead, but you're also mixing Zorro, Don Diego <laughs> de la Vega. It's like what I thought was pretty cool. No, I'm glad you mentioned the name because I needed a, a secret identity for the character, right? El Muerto was mm-hmm. his name. And I started thinking of the word, if you can visualize, Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. And I go, what what name kind of goes along with that visually and maybe phonetically? So day would be Dia would be like Diego de la Muerte, Dia de los Muertos. And then, yeah, thinking of Don Diego, Zorro, and, <laughs> you know, just the idea that the guy... The guy's last name is De La Muerte. That just makes it pretty. It's like that's pretty that's one of my yeah. You know that's so cool, and that's one of my favorite things in like comics. When like I know like Stan Lee was really big on alliteration. You know, yeah. like Peter Parker and stuff. And it, that goes from DC too. Like oh, the whole list of characters in Superman. They're LL. You know, Lex yeah. Luthor, Lois Lane, Laurie Lamaris, all that. So I really, I'm really invested in creators who like to do something clever with names because I think names and the meaning of names, their etymology is so powerful from a mythological standpoint. So I really dug that. Yeah, thanks. Well, it's about creating the character, but it's not just the character. It's not just the visual or the name. Yeah, it's also his secret identity. Mm-hmm. So try not to just give, you know, his name's just not okay. Paco Gomez, which is a beautiful name. <laughs> Brother, do I got a question for you here. Now, I'm going to come from a Latino perspective because, you know, this is what it is sometimes, right? So, you know, in in our community as Latinos, I think it doesn't matter whether we're a Caribbean Latino, Central American Latino, South American Latino. End of the day, 
Latino parents do not see the arts as a viable career. So, oh man, were, were your parents supportive <laughs> in your career? You know, to to do comics or comicas, eso para niños type of shit, or you know, what type of approach did they take with you when you said this is what I want to do? Wow, that's I, I I got two different threads for that. Yeah. <laughs> you get threads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I'm also a teacher. But, but I but, get it, bro. I'm Latino. I I get it. But but my personal growing up, like I said, my brother drew. He quit drawing by the time he was in high school. I kept at it. No, my parents never discouraged me. They, they yeah, no, they never discouraged oh, me. I mean, they, they didn't know about art school and stuff, so they didn't encourage me like, oh, keep doing it, go to art school. They didn't understand but, it. Yeah, they're just like, okay, he's drawing. My, our, our other son is riding bikes and building models. Yeah. Our daughter. Listen, man, Javier is not gang banging. He's at the house drawing, so that's great. He's at the house drawing, reading his little comic books. <laughs> <laughs> but as a, as a as a as a teacher, as a teach art classes, I teach comic classes all the time. And again, oh, wow. when I'm with Latino audiences, like I, I I like Al, you're saying I I pulled a parent aside. I go, you know, your daughter, she's actually like really good, like uh, in the whole class. She's really got an innate skill for this. So if you can encourage her, if she wants to, as she gets older in high school and such, you know, I mean, the fact that you brought her into this class, I tell the parents, that means you're supporting her. So yeah. keep at it because there's viable careers in art. Even if she doesn't yeah. grow up to do comics, she might do storyboards for movies where the real yeah. is at. She may get into video game. She may get into fashion design or stage play design, whatever. So, yeah, I always appreciate that. I always thank the parents for bringing the kids to the class because that's the first step. Like you're putting, you're spending money to make sure your kid has a little outlet for uh, the art. So, you know. And not just the art, but the potential uh, for a future for them. You know, you know exactly. that little belief could go so far. I mean, right. that's not that's just in our Latino community. I mean, in any community where anybody, you support yeah. a kid, you know, what they love, you know, you never know what, what they could reach. So, that's why I asked because I know at least within, you know, I can't speak for Bracey, but at least in the Latino community, Puerto Rican, when if you wanted to be an artist or, or work in music or something, oh, that's not a viable career. You need to right. do this. You need to do that. You know, that's for kids. What are you doing? Ah, that, that, oh, that, man. I, I mean, I got, know, we've been I got friends. I got friends who are South American. I got friends who are Asian and anybody wanted to get in art. So like I speak my own experience as a white kid. Like the parents, are like, no, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, uh, That's a know, profession. My, yeah, my <laughs> my mom would berate me. Is like, I was like, what do you want to do? It's like, I'd like to be an artist. It's like, well, how are you going to make money? How are you going to make money? He's like, oh, oh God, how am I going to make money? I don't. I'm going like, to draw nude models. Bracy would answer. So you know, there was <laughs> just draw just me like not, French girls. <laughs> yeah, just did not have the support system there. So like, uh, I feel you. Like, talk about getting late. I'm getting started way later than you. I've only dabbled, but. If this is what your your kids want to do, like you know, help them out, give them a shot, let them try. You know whether they whether they succeed or fail, at least let them try. And you know what? You know what? Think about art. Even if the kid doesn't do art later after the mm -hmm. class, they have an advantage, I think, because they're 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 thinking creatively. Mm -hmm. I don't mean I don't just mean telling stories, but the kids thinking something through. So. They could apply that later to their math or their English or their history, whatever they get up doing. But I think a create, I think an artistic student is someone who's creatively problem solving, outside so, of the box thinking. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only way to think, in my opinion. So let me yeah. ask you over here. I gotta ask you, brother. So El Muerto was adapted into a film. Well, yes. 
So how does the process of translating a comic book into a movie differ from creating a comic book itself? Well, it's funny. So uh, let me go to the end. At the last day of filming the movie, you know, it was a great emotional day. And then I came home a few days later. Had a, I had to uh, not, not detox like a drug addict. I had to, <laughs> I had to un- decompress. Yeah, yeah, decompress. That's the word. There you go. <laughs> I had to detox because I went to Hollywood, right? No, I, <laughs> I had to decompress a couple of days, you know, catch up on everything you haven't done for four weeks, laundry, mail, whatever. And I remember like a few days later, it was nighttime. Everything was all done. I was all refreshed. I got on my blank sheet of paper and then sat at my table, put on my music. Okay, now it's back to just me doing the story because mm-hmm. the movie process, yeah, I was just one person on a whole team, L. You know, yeah, I created the concept, but. The, the the filmmakers, the director, his whole crew, the cast, they're making the film, not me. You mm-hmm. know, there's okay. like what 40, 50, 80 people making a small film, you know. Ooh. So yeah, the process was like that was great. And I love the process, but like, man, you know what? Just me and my white paper, and <laughs> I got my I got the cure on the CD player there. That's really where I'm at. You know what? All Javier needs is the cure, a modelo, and, and his typewriter, and leave me alone. <laughs> now, I got to ask something his about typewriter. that. typewriter. L, you are the old man of the hill. I love you. <laughs> I got to ask a question about that, because I have talked to a few other people who have had their properties translated into film or you know animation or some other mm-hmm. medias. And because filmmaking is a collaborative process, you can no longer be precious with your baby unless you right. have the J.K. Rowling contract. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Woo! what is what is that Top like? Uh, you know, you've got to trust a whole bunch of other people with your toys. You know, like let, let all these other people play with your, your toys baby. and tell your story in a way that they think is going to work best for this new medium. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I did an early interview with the director Brian Cox. He. So I did an interview on NPR at, at San Diego Comic-Con, like 2001. Oh, nice. The reporter came out, and he wanted to interview Latino creators. So mm-hmm. he was kind of ahead of the curve as far as, like, spotlighting Latino creators. So I did the interview at my table, like, 10 minutes, and then he left. He walked away. I figured, okay, fine, I did it. It was like throwing a message in a bottle. Okay, he's going to go air the episode one day, and people will hear it. That's, that's fine. I didn't expect anything out of it. But lo and behold, one of the people who heard it was Brian Cox, an independent film director. Oh. producer here in LA. So, you know, his people got a hold of me through a mail, like, you know, my PO box. I had a letter from, oh, Distant Horizon Production Company. All right. Let um, me ask you something. I guess yes. wait, wait, before you proceed, because yes. I had a similar situation happen to me last year in my first film role. I got a message. I ignored it. I'm like, ah, get out of here. This is a scammer. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. This, this is the Latino approach. Did you feel the same? Ah, oh, there's some scammer. Get out of here. No, no, it was because it was a letterhead. And, oh, he know, saw a letterhead. He goes, This is official. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was on Sunset Boulevard. You know. Yeah, no, no. Javier was no fool like me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, they gave me a letterhead. So I like, No, it's a real thing. And then I called them. and But, you know, even then you're just talking. You're not giving anybody anything yet without a lawyer. Yeah. So I went and met with the director, and we had like an hour long talk. And for that first hour, Gracie, like you're asking, you guys are asking, I go, In my head, Okay, this is the first talk we've had. The film is still a couple of years away. There's no script. But, like, I, I like this guy. I trust him. He's respectful to me as an artist, as a person. He's not coming off, like, he's not coming off all Hollywood with all the stupid Hollywood talk. Mm. He's, just an, he's just another creative person. 
asking me questions about that one story I did. So, yeah, I felt very confident. And, of course, you know, I got a lawyer. He got a producer involved. This is going over a year now, a year or two. And then the contract and, the, you know, blah, 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 back and forth. And then, like, two years later, I signed the, the deal. I remember signing it, like, you know, my my lawyer looked over the contract. We bounced it back and forth. I went to the producer's office, and I was, like, looking at the paper. It's like, wow, I'm going to sign away the rights, at least movie rights. Temper. So I, I signed it, Oof. and it felt really interesting. Oof. It was like, like you guys are saying, like, hey, right. now it's not just so, me. Now I gotta me ask all these you, guys making a movie. I got to ask, that when you signed that paper, saying you're signing away the movie rights, how did your soul feel at that <laughs> moment? <laughs> well, you know, I trusted my lawyer with all the stuff we got in the contract, but still, yeah, you okay. still do feel like because you're 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 signing a legal thing, telling the legal world, yes, these guys have a right. To take I've got a right to my stuff for like X number of years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. And they get to how many years? Of the comic and plot. So, Javier, can you share well, how many years they have the right well, the to the council? Yeah, the way the option works is they have, so you sign it, and then one year from when you sign it, you know, you get paid, you get paid money. And then a year later, if they haven't started filming by that exact date, you get the rights back. Ooh. So, so you, you get free money. Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> or you can re-sign with them. Okay. So, yeah, the year came and went, and, you know, they still haven't got far in the script. And I told my Lori, hey, what do we do? Well, you can either walk away. That's your you're right. Or if you like what's going on, you know, they they'll they'll pay you another year. So yeah, I did that. Got paid mm. another year, and the second year came up, and then yeah, they got they got much closer to. Uh, I mean, they, they started filming there on the second year. Like okay, you know, so so then they got the right to make the film, and I get the you got the you get the rights back after a set number of years. That's in the contract. Yeah, I think uh, like for instance the. Sony kept kicking out Spider-Man films every seven years because that's how they were able to retain the character. If they didn't have that, if they didn't do something within seven years, then rights fell back to Marvel. Right. So, yeah, right. I got the rights back. So if Netflix is watching, give me a call, guys. Let's talk. <laughs> so, all right. So, you know, talking about that. So that week, Netflix gets a little tease. Let's talk about a little bit of a sneak peek into the current story of Muerto and what readers can be looking forward to. Yes, the new book, Casa del Diablo, is the second... Diablo! <laughs> Let's get it, baby. You know what? Hold on. I got to bring up my slide, too, because, folks, I, I I had to do this for my man, Javi. All right? Because, Excellent. listen, I, I, I had to. This is a Latino career. Let's talk about it, homie. I, I had to do it. El Diablo! There we go, the Aztec zombie, Casa del Diablo. Talk about this beautiful cover and what, what we got going on. I guess yeah, yeah, that's so, something else I like is your your pun names that you like, you know, you know, uh, dead and confused as opposed to like, you know, and confused, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I yeah, love that movie, book, bro. First book was, yeah, the first book was Days of the Dead. This hmm. is Casa del Diablo. Yeah, this is a book. El Muerto teams up with this uh, young woman. Her her child's been kidnapped. This is down in Baja, California. Her her infant son's been kidnapped. And all the clues lead to this legend of like the La Llorona legend of Mexico. Ah, okay. Oh, shit. Yeah, so you're nice. mixing La, La Llorona into this baby? Where yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, <laughs> I just my own version of it called La, 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 La Doña Maclovia La Dolente. Some La Doña. Woman, and she's, been, she's got a very hideous past. Yeah. 
When so, a Latino hears the words La Doña, you're already getting scared. Stay away from the river. <laughs> yes, it's like please. The, it's like the drill sergeant. Stand up to attention. <laughs> so yeah, they they they, <laughs> they 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 follow the track up this mysterious Spanish hacienda up in the Mexican mountains, where there shouldn't be a Spanish hacienda, and that's why that's the Casa del Diablo, and okay. they need to they need to they need to rescue the baby from this demonic entity. So it's a horror story for sure. So what's up with the demonic entities, man? Are you a big horror fan, Javier? Oh my god, yes. You couldn't grow up in the kid in the 70s without hitting all the reruns of uh Hammer Horror, Universal oh, Horror, right on right. Adam's family. Yeah, all, all the right. Films, Javier, I'm about to do it to you. I'm about to make your brain blow up because I have to do it. <laughs> what is your number one horror movie? Oh, so I, on Facebook a few weeks ago, I go, these are my top five favorite horror films. So I'll give you the top five if I could. Do it, do it, do it. No particular order, but they're all like there. The Exorcist. Okay. The Shining. Yes. Halloween. All right. Yes. All the original all the original ones, of course. And then there's a rare, a, obscure film called Race with the Devil. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's I have not watched that. You're fucking with me. I'm gonna be, watch out, Alex is coming. Oh, dude, Satanic Biker <laughs> Cult threatens yeah. a family in a Winnebago. It's the greatest. Oh my god! And this is from the year that I was born, 1975. Are you kidding me? I need so you this know in my it, life. It, yeah, it's 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 low budget, but that helps it. And then the the fifth <laughs> film would be The Omen. Oh, I love that. I love the whole franchise, to be oh, honest. Yeah, yeah. Of the original yeah. franchise. Yes, Race, yes. Race with the Devil is very old school Wes Craven. It's really oh, about like it's a, a starring Peter Fonda and yeah. uh, Warren Oates. And it's. It, oh, my God. Is, the film is not big on supernatural scares, it's paranoia. That's all I'm going to say. It's mm. this frightening, horrible paranoia that everybody well, all over the southwest is freaking part of the satanic cult i so. love it because again here is, is what it's basically known for is the action overall but then suspense and the supernatural elements so you know exactly. what it is from the 70s I, I, i'm up for it because you know what the 70s has some really unique horror movies at the time and again and this is the aesthetic you're bringing to this wonderful book that said muerto i mean bro how do you feel you know, being 25 years in this game already, son. I mean, you know, drug dealers don't even survive this long. And you're in the comic game, son. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to to stuck with to have stuck with it. And I'm oh, shit, look at that. Over <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Um, He's talking about Dicko. Isn't that a very Dicko Spidey on that motherfucker That is a right very Dicko Spidey on that wall. The the reason El Muerto has a logo on his back is because I go, you know what? Outside of Spider-Man, I can't think of a character who's got a logo on his back. And I thought a, the back of the black mariachi suit would be wow, the perfect honestly, place I for can't a Yo, bro. All right. Javier has motherfucking found the, the unicorn in comics. Only <laughs> one person has a logo on their back. Spidey. And now it's two with El Muerto. Wepa. I love it. He has found the hey. unicorn. And you know what? It looks good, though. Yeah. Thank you. Speaking Thank about you. I want an iconic. You guys can't mention iconic. I want well, another thing I did. I needed for my superhero besides the name and everything. I needed an iconic logo. Everybody yeah. needs Look at a that. perfect, clean bat symbol, super symbol, whatever. So Muerto, that, that skull is actually from Aztec Pyramid. I just simplified it. So it's got all round, smooth edges. 
but yeah, that comes from my ancestors, right? The, yeah, it definitely looks like pyramid. it definitely looks like some Aztec Ark or one of those crystal skulls that were found in South America. Speaking of which, you're talking yes, about the, the future. Every time you uh, say not, I not, hear those words, crystal that. skull, I'm thinking Indy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not think of that crystal skull. I'm thinking about the cool ass <laughs> crystal skulls that we knew about way back in the 80s. You know, they were on shows like That's Incredible, like, oh, you know, the ancient Mayan crystal skulls, like cool stuff like that. Think more of the Phantom movie with Billy Zane, that kind oh, of cool oh, crystal yes. skull. Have you ever met Billy Zane? Let me tell you, if anyone gives off old school Hollywood energy, it is Billy Zane. And I'll leave nice. it at wow. that. <laughs> so what I want to ask about the future of El Muerto. Now, I don't know if you've done this yet, because I, I I am a slight fan of, I say slight because I I can't pronounce all the names, but I, I do like, uh, I love mythology. I was really into uh, Aztec mythology once, once we got mm-hmm. into that like history class. You know, seeing how advanced the Aztecs were with Tenochtitlan and stuff like that, or I know it's pronounced differently. That's just how I remember saying it. But I was wondering, has El, has El Muerto ever encountered vampires? And I was thinking, Ooh. like, Kamazots would be a great potential villain for him. Ooh, so oh, interesting. Look at yeah. well, I love this. There's my man over here. This is why he's a crusader, folks. <laughs> no, no, it's, yeah, exactly. He, he wanders the path that we're all afraid to, but. <laughs> um, no, he hasn't met vampires, but like I said, I, I just I just did a short story where he's taking on the Frankenstein creature. I mean, because it fits so well. Like you've you've got La Llorona, you've got like his, your your interpretation of Frankenstein. Is like we got to go vampire next. We we got to yeah, get some, well, maybe El maybe Vampiro, like, they're all dead. Gracie, you're on a Latino show, El Vampiro. All right, El Vampiro. Vampiro. There we go, baby. <laughs> I love it. Hey, man, I'm a, fan a, of Luchadores. I remember Vampiro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> La, bring La in, bring in a crosser with El Santo. <laughs> and not I even that. Oh, shit. You're bringing this up, Javier. Did, did, did wrestling have any impact on the creation of your character? Lucha Libre. Well, you know, as a young, as a young fan in the 70s, I used to watch wrestling from the Olympic Auditorium, oh, the, the, shit, the, the Guerrero family. Wow. Eddie Guerrero's older brothers, they ruled the L.A. area. And their number one rival was this really young punk from Portland in a kilt called Roddy Piper. <laughs> so I, got to, <laughs> I got to see Roddy Piper get out when he's starting out in L.A. Yeah, oh. Javier, I am jealous, Javier. I am jealous. I think even Brace is jealous right now. To go Get back out. in time and see that live like that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I've always had the biggest respect for Piper because think about it. In the 70s, he comes from a Portland, skinny little white guy. He's the bad guy. <laughs> the territory is owned by the Guerreros. They're the heroes of all the, the you know, the, the Mexicans there. Mm-hmm. And his yeah. job is to be the number one villain. So, okay, <laughs> how do I piss off the Mexican fans? I got to be racist. I got to attack yes, the sir. family. I, he had a job that uh, he did a great so, job. Yeah, he did. Was, he, was he not called El Guero when he, when he first appeared? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he, he was Roddy Piper. He was Roddy Piper, yeah, but to me it was El Guero. Roddy Piper, yeah. El Guero. <laughs> El Guerito. Bendito. You see what I'm saying, bro? This is what I'm trying to tell people here. Even though I'm Puerto Rican, I know my slant term between my Mexican people, my Central oh, yeah. America, you know, 
This is how connected we are. This is the beautiful part of our culture. Well, like you said, we can be Puerto Rican, Cuban, Mexican, El Salvadorian, but we all got Latino blood going through our veins. Yeah, baby. I mean, listen, but Puerto Rico had Arawak, which comes from Mexico. You know, it's, you know, we weren't just Taino. We were also Arawak. So people, please learn your history. I love how people say just Taino, but there's a lot more to it than that. But with they that... Got to, they got to... Yeah, bro. So let's talk about this, though. But co- collaborations, right, are integral to comics, right? Are there any dream collaborations that you like to hmm. explore in the future, specifically with a muerto? Oh boy, you know, I you know I guess I've thought about it over the years, but then you know later on it's just like I just love doing what I'm doing on my own. I mean, yeah, hmm. I wouldn't mind. A pinup from Mike Allred or the Hernandez brothers, if you're talking about... Well, Allred, mm. you heard it, yo. Nope. And we already made a comparison. Make it happen. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I'm, I'm I'm very happy to just enjoy their work, but enjoy doing what I'm doing. And if the past ever crossed, that'd be great. And if something came out of it, it's great. But the only, the only hopes I put up there for me is, you know, get to 30 anniversary and get to 35. And then get you get to a hundred, bro. You know we got to keep you healthy eating salads and all that shit because you're gonna get to a hundred. Oh, there's not enough salads in the world to keep me to a hundred. Yeah. So I... wait, wait, Bracy, hold on, hold on to that thought for one sec because I gotta ask this because again, just because of his journey, this is 25 years we're talking about. All right, 25 years, people. Again, not not many people last as long in this industry, especially as an independent creator. So being that the industry has evolved so much over the years, how do you see the role of independent creators like yourself changing the landscape for the future? I really think, how do I put it? They're like such a lifeblood of the, the, today and the future. I mean, an independent vision is always going to, no, not, it's not better than the corporate vision. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff I like that are made by companies. Mm-hmm. But it's very pure. You get a really pure idea when it's just the one creator or collab, you know, one or two people working on something and they're not tied to like any continuity, any pre-existing ideas. I mean, they, they borrow and they're inspired by different things out there, but and there's so many creative people in every little community that will never get known. Even with the internet, you know, a lot of people are just very read. I, I still think I'm regional in some many ways because I do so many things in LA, like events all the time, but you know, because of shows like yours and stuff, you know, obviously I've gotten out there, but there, there are hundreds of creators in every, like th- throughout the country, all the big towns and small towns. There's creators in every town almost, and they may just work for five years, ten years, in their little city, whatever, and that's fine, you know, because those people will read those books. But it's just all the creativity, just like all these, like uh, what they call it, thousand points of lights. Mm. The ex-president. It's just these little creative bursts of people doing their own thing passionately whatever it is comics in our case but could be music you know could be dance whatever because i know you like you've said before you've thought about taking it into a webtoon sort of direction with the idea of collecting and printing trades yeah 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 i mean i i that's what i'm doing i'm mostly focusing on print i i know what i wouldn't mind if i had a good deal i would not i would be happy to have a deal just say dark horse for someone with, I create the stories, they publish it. And the only caveat would be if you want to publish it, you have to do it in color. And I'll supervise Ooh. it. I'll super because you know it's a bigger company. It's like, okay, let's put some money into it. Oh, but, why not? I mean, they did it with Walking Dead. Why wouldn't they do it in Muerto? Right? 
yeah, they do that with a lot of comics. Dark Horse put out this, these Madman hardcover, big oversized yeah. ones. They're all in color. Oh, yeah. Early, even the early black and white comic. Yeah, so Dark Horse, let's manifest. Let's manifest right now. Dark Horse, if you're listening, we have one of the greatest independent comic book creators in the business right here saying they mentioned you. You understand this? That means you're preferred. Don't be fucking around. Don't be wasting time. <laughs> I'll be real. That asshole. I'll be real. Don't waste time, Dark Horses. Make it happen because the, the, the community, specifically the comic book community, needs stuff like this in our, in, in our lives because this is the spirit of independent, Javier. And All right, Mike Richardson. That, that energy, went right to you. It's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. You know what I mean, I'm saying? They, For real. They've even colored the uh, Scott Pilgrim books. You know, they, That's what I'm saying. But, so, so if you had a colorist of choice to color your book, do you have anyone in mind that you would want to work with? You open to that? Oh no, I, I'd be open to it. I mean, unfortunately, I don't have my finger on the pulse like I should. Like, oh, my favorite colorist out there. I mean, just someone who would approximate the way I color, but then add a little more to it, maybe a little more shading and such. Yeah, uh, so, give it, you know. give it that little bit more of a weapon. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Punch it up a little bit more. Oh, more that orale type. Yeah, but I say, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yo, come on, homes. We gotta do the things right out here in the hood because you know, we got one of the greatest creators in the business again. 25 years in the game, folks. You guys don't understand. So, talk about this though for you, right? Like, like, how do you see this whole landscape changing though? Like, from for independent because obviously yeah, everybody loves the big two, but independent has been growing and growing and excelling. And like for me, what I see an accelerated pace now because people are tired of what they're tired of. They want new independent is, is where it's at. So how do you see that developing in the future too? I mean, it really is outside of the hard work of drawing and writing the book. It's it, it's pretty, I don't say easy, accessible to get your work out there, not just on a webcomic, because obviously you can put your comics on Instagram, whatever, that's free, but mm -hmm. even printing with a print on demand, which if people don't know mm. is, you know, I, BOD. I could print. In fact, in fact, these are on Amazon. And Look Amazon at that book. Oh, my they, God. they do great work. But Oof. How many pages is that? About 120, something like that. 120, what? Yeah, about, Look yeah, that looks that. great. That is some self-porn. Let me see that spine again because when people walk into my house, the first thing they're going to see is that spine, that beautiful <laughs> comic you see in the yellow right there and, and the black. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, I had to talk to you. You got my colors, baby. What the fuck? What's going on here? But that is self-porn, baby. Black, now, was that with the bright color will always stand out. Was that printed through Amazon? It. Yeah, so Amazon has a print on through Amazon called Kindle Direct. Wow. And, and then the good thing is I can order all the copies I want really cheap, but they're all, it's also on Amazon. If one of your fans wants to go order a copy, look up El Muerto, Casa del Diablo, Javier Hernandez. They'll get it like in what, two days or something at their house? Oh, Javier, so, what am I getting in Casa del Diablo? You're getting El Muerto down in Baja, California, helping a woman save her child from this monstrous La Llorona type character. <laughs> I got another no, question no. since we're talking about future things. You're talking about going on to your 30th anniversary, 35th, 40th, and whatnot. Jeez. One of the things I do appreciate about manga 
and also about creators like Mike Mignola is when when you have the one creator who is completely even if they're not always drawn it like you know Mike Mike did let other people play in his sandbox but right. he was always the overseer of his work do you have an eventual end to the story is there a time where like you know El Muerto walks off into the sunset and that's the end of his tale so I'm working on book three and I have in my mind on my in my little game plan, I have a 10 volume saga planned out. So the, I do have an ending. Like a, there's a story ending. I won't say what it is, but of course so that that's planned out for book might might end in book nine, depends how I get there. But I wanna I try to go ten. Because what I want to do at the end, if I'm lucky, thank you know, God willing, I'll I'm gonna leave behind a thousand plus page epic. Nice. Uh, and you know, nice ten volume set, and then maybe an omnibus, whatever. Personally, I think that's one of the things that has failed the the larger comic book industry. When you look at the big two, they've got the these eighty years of history, which I love. You know, growing up with them, I loved having all this stuff to go backward and look at onto today. But because you've got writer after writer after writer, editor after editor after editor, like it gets really weird and watered down and some ideas work and some don't. Then people have to retcon things. And that's one of the things I think that really appeals about the indie creator and the mangaka is the fact that it is a singular vision throughout the story. And if that's going to be the case, I'm a person who believes that every story should have a beginning, a middle and eventually an end. So I appreciate that you have that perspective as well. Here's one of my heroes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Kona guy is still in charge of Devilman after mm. 50 years. Even though he doesn't draw all the recent books, mm-hmm. he oversees it. So, yeah, I just like the, that, the one creator, you know, Stan Sakai with Usagi Ujimbo or, mm-hmm. you know, Eastman and Laird. I mean, the, I know they sold the property and, you know, they have a lot of people work on it and IDW and stuff, but yeah, that one single creator like holding on to their work for as long as they're able to. I like that. Yeah, I mean, like it, I like that. There's, there's just when it's when it's your vision, when it's your narrative. You know, I don't think you can top that. Like it, when I, if I think about like if if Steve Ditko was still doing the question through all this time, as opposed to like what DC did with it, like oh, what would that be like? And for me, it's a, a tragedy when somebody you know, passes away before they can finish their story. Like, you know, the author of Berserk recently passed away. Right. Uh, the manga. Right. And it's like, oh, you know, they, they talk about like having one of his assistants or some other famous manga finish the story. But it's like, but can you really, can you really pick up, you know, a legend like that and carry it to the finish line? Right, right. I mean, there's this. But Bracey, we have technology. We have technology that maybe we could connect to his brain to pull out those <laughs> last few stories. Wow. <laughs> Get Elon Musk on the job. <laughs> yeah. like, he like, try it. That AI. that bastard would definitely try it. Yeah. <laughs> AI comics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, Javier! How do you feel about as the creator about AI comics? You know, and that whole new generation of creation, if you will, if it is well to be called creation. I mean, it's it's not it's not throwing my hands up in the feet, but like, okay, it's here. It, that like you know, it's not go back in the bottle. No one's gonna get mm-hmm. rid of it. Like, okay, whatever. I don't use it. I'm not, I don't see myself using it for making comics. Can people make it? I mean, you know, legally they can do whatever they want. Do I think it's the best idea? Like that, a producer or a publisher would just say, okay, let me just tell the AI 
software to make this 20 page comic on this UFO alien woman thing. And it does it, spits it out like, well, you know, <laughs> you didn't, didn't have to pay the artist or our writers or color it or, you know, what do I think about that? I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a great thing, but I mean, honestly, yeah. like I can't do anything about it though. I mean, see, I, and that's the whole thing it. though. We, everybody thinks that that's how everybody's going to use it, you know. And yeah, of course, there will be people that use it that way. I think, you know, again, I, I, I'm on a different side of it. I think AI is a great tool for an entrepreneur, so long as I got, of course, you are respecting copyright. And there right. are certain AIs out there that do respect copyright. If you were to say, let me do a character of a skeleton in the style of Javier Hernandez. Mm. You know, some guys <laughs> will straight up tell me no happening, like give me a style, right? You know, like artistic expression style as opposed to a person style. And that and I could respect that a lot more. You know what I mean? So right, again, right. AI does have its uses, you know, they are gonna be the, the the bad people and bad users. But at the end of the day, people, it's here. We have to, like I told Bracey in the green room, there's only gonna be two people left in the world. Those that know how to use it as a tool, and those that don't. Yeah, it's it's like you said, it's a tool. Yeah. So if you have if you have a problem with what's being created with it, talk to the person wielding the tool. You know, yes. set their ass straight. You can't yell exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's not the computer's fault. It's the person and how they use it. So maybe you can tell the person, don't you don't use it this way because I think that you're doing something wrong. All right. You know what? And that that's a fair expression of your sentiment because again, but but still, it is AI. And it's it's some shit. There's a lot of stuff going on, and it could be used for good. All right, folks. Like yeah. technology, good or bad. All right. So, Racy, I'll give you one more question, and then I got one more before we. You know, I don't want to take too much more of your time because he got to get to to the right. anniversary celebration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Party started. All right. So, like you've focused so much of your time, effort, and energy into El Muerto for all these years, but I did read initially. You wanted him to be part of like a Mexican kind of JLA. Yeah. Do you still want to do like a cool like a Latino team book? Because like, especially if you're basing off like you know Mesoamerican mythology, there's a lot of cool stuff to pull from there. Well, let me just say this: I do have other guest stars that will show up in other books, and and I've done other characters. I got to get all that stuff back in print. I have like, I don't know, ten, fifteen characters I've done over the years, short stories. One-page stories, four-page stories, ten-page stories, twenty-page. I just comic. wonder if you're ever going to get around to like maybe putting out even if even just like a one-shot here and there, like a team book, because I think that's a really cool idea. Well, like again, I can just be very vague about it, but El Muerto will be having a big team up of characters in one of the books. Nice. Ooh, yeah. it's my Jesus, Avengers, folks. It's, it's my Avengers Endgame, you know. Mm. <laughs> Wepa, uh, Javier is like pulling what folks you hear this 25 years you know, in the business we got some crazy stuff coming on right so, okay wait i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna guess the uh the Look. lion calendar was wrong the end of the world's gonna happen when it happens in your book it's like resetting the mayan calendar a little bit the, no our that. calculations were wrong it's now it's now Here's me stealing an idea on live on camera. Ah. Freely, freely, <laughs> freely given. Freely given. Oops. So Javier, I lied. I got two questions. So two last questions. First, where can we see you next? Are you going to be making any appearances at any comic cons for the rest of 2023? Mm. Oh, I got a lot coming up. But the, the very next Ooh. one coming up is September 9 and 10 
here in California at Long Beach at MOLA, Museum of Latin American Art, the convention I co-founded, the Latino... Wait, wait, you are Comic fucking with me. Wait a minute. Rewind. Museum of Latin America. What? Are you serious? I didn't even yeah. know this existed. Yeah, Museum of Latin American Art. They have all these great, vast collections of art from Latin America. Mm. Uh, but they've been hosting us for a couple of years now, annually, for our Latino Comics Expo, which I co-founded in 2011 with my friend. Talk Ricardo. about that, baby. That That's what I wanted to allude to, and I'm happy you brought it up because <laughs> I've been supporting this for a minute. I wish I've been local enough to attend. And one year I will. Now that I'm a single man, we'll I'm get save my here. money. Yeah, I, I got to go and attend this because as a Latino, a Boricua from, from El Caribe, I mean, to see so many different Latinos like, like showcasing and sharing stories on a level that I have not seen before. I've only experienced this online through news releases and shit like, wow, I wish I could see this. You know, I'm I'm waiting for the day. I mean, I really want to be a part of this somehow because it's, it's a beautiful thing to... You know, you know, listen, I love everything. I, you know, at the end of the day, I am American. I'm Puerto Rican, but I am American. And but, but still to see my, my brown people doing things and a level that I haven't been exposed to always makes me proud. Yeah, thanks. That's why we created it. We wanted to have a space, a venue for all these Latino creators, whether they do comic strips, web comics, graphic novels, superhero, political, Oof. horror, whatever they do, zines, even animation wow. and such. Yeah, so I mean, like the Hernandez, like Jaime Hernandez will be here again this year. Whoever uh, they've been, him and Gilbert have been coming for years. Gilbert can't make it apparently this year, but Jaime will oh. be there. We got so many new artists from from the area and and around. So yeah, follow me on social media. I'm already talking about it. I put the poster up, and it's gonna be our twelfth show, I think. Yeah, twelve. Oh my God! Well, you, you, you see, folks, he's not just a comic book creator. But he is a supporter of the industry as a whole. You feel me? So again, you know, you can follow Javier on social on Instagram at Javier Los Comics, C O M E X, Meta at Javier.F.Hernandez, and X Javier Hernandez. I mean, my brother, what advice would you give to an up and coming creator in this day and age? Because again, you started in a day and age before computer where you were actually printing paper. You were having to go to the post office. You know what I mean? No such shit as email. No such thing as, as JPEGs and shit. I mean, talk <laughs> about it. What type of advice would you give to homies nowadays trying to step in? Well, it's just a simple age-old advice. If you really want to do something, let's just talk comics. If you want to make your own comic, then do it. But figure out how to put it online through whatever media, whatever platform you want, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. It doesn't matter. Or if you want to print, so many print options now with print on demand. You don't have to print 3,000 copies. You can print one copy, two copies, whatever. But if you have this yearning desire to have like a story told and you want to put it out in the world, put it out because in five or 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, if you look back and you never did it, you're going to regret it. And it's a shame, you know? There's no guarantees it's going to be it. No guarantees anyone's going to like it or everyone's going to like it. But you'll know you put it out in the world. And I think that's, that's something... That's the only advice I can give, and it's the basic advice that got me started, and it's the same thing that keeps me going every day through these twenty-five damn years, and hopefully beyond. I'll say this: this is this is something I said to a friend of mine back when I was making short films and whatnot, and he kept talking about this script idea he was working on, working on, working on for years. And I was like, just one day I told him, I "Was like, look, man, if it stays in your head, it might as well not exist." 
Good. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. It I doesn't can't see it if it's in your head. Yeah. yeah. That's I right. Can't see it. You if can it, tell it's, all you want. Yeah. If it's only for an audience of you, then what's the point? Stories yeah, need to be make- told. Even if you write it down in a notebook, but that notebook's on the bottom drawer in your desk, yeah. it, it it still doesn't really exist for for anybody else. So, so you see, stories, folks, you want to do? Yeah, stories are meant that? to be told. You hear this, folks? This is from two amazing independent comic book creators. So, if you have a story to tell, stop. Put that joint out there. Period. <laughs> Share it. Share it with the world. Let's go. Because again, at the end of the day, you never know unless you try, right? You know the world I mean? needs stories. The world wants yeah. It's the stories. truth. And me, you know, I'm creating this. I'm not trying. I'm doing just like Javier is doing, like Bracey is doing. We're not trying. We're doing. We're sharing. Whether you connect or not, that's on you. End of the day, though, we have done our part. And with that, let me tell you, thank you, thank you so much, Javier. As a comic book fan, as a Latino, baby. Let me tell you shit, 25 years to see a Latino in the game this long, especially on the independent comic book market, I couldn't feel prouder of anyone, bro. Like, yo, you are, let me talk to you for a minute. You are a brother from another mother. Yo, I got much love and respect for you. Thank you for sharing that vision. Because it don't matter what island or territory we're from. Right. We're all one world. And it's like, yo, you know, you're sharing something that's special that I think everyone in our community and more could even connect with. So it's like, yo, just as the fans to creator, muchas gracias, mi hermano, te aprecio. Well, thank you for that too. I appreciate those words, mean a lot. And yeah. Yeah, but. And it's the same with Bracey, man. You know, you're, you're an independent creator. You put your Mr. Happy out there trying to bring some happiness to the world of independent comic books, some fun stuff. So thank you too. And with that, folks, you know, this is the amazing part of what Comic Crusaders is. We talk to amazing creators all the time. I mean, we got Bracey, we got Javier Hernandez, 25 years in the game. And you know what? We're going to get another 25, and then another 50. And, you know, Javier Hernandez is going to be immortal because of this. And Muerto, baby. So what? check out the project. You know, follow, stay tuned. You know, check him out at the cons, talk to him, pick this man's brain while we have him because yo, he is in fact a legend. All right? Thank you, sir. Thank you. And and not just that, also for the co- convention you're doing for our gente. Thank you for that. Because again, you know, we see so many different types of cons. We see cons that are you know, relegated to certain people. So you're one of the few that actually try to gear things towards us, but not just towards us, because it really is towards everybody. But you're saying you're here, we exist. So thank you for even doing that. Yeah, everybody's invited. Everybody's invited, of course. Yeah, man, it's for everyone. So with that, Javier, Bracey, thank you. My fellow Crusaders, you know what it is. Check out ComicCrusaders.com. <laughs> Yo, we drop content daily. We got dope podcasts, not just through Comic Crusaders, but undercover case, like with my man, you know, Johnny Hughes, who braced himself, sloppy spoilers with DT, Nemesis, and, and Cinema Crusaders and Shade Wing. You know, who needs Nightwing when you got Shade Wing? Come on, baby. That's what it is. I mean, real talk. I love my family, comic crew all the way. Thank you guys, my fellow crusaders, for listening. Javier, you rock. Bracey, you rock. Mi gente, you rock. You know what it is. Hasta la próxima. Much love. You rock. And we out. Stay motivated, people, and keep creating. Don't ever stop. Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. 
Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 